2020 changed the trajectory of my life forever. I was 24, succeeding in a job that offered huge financial reward, yet I was unhappy and unfulfilled. My chronic illness, cystic fibrosis, had caused my lungs to bleed and it left me in a hospital bed. Now I left that job and created this podcast and I left that hospital bed to run marathons and prove that we aren't defined by our circumstances, but rather how we respond to them. On this show, we discuss the adversity that my guests and I face and how we overcome that adversity. This is A Lot To Talk About. G'day, g'day. Welcome back to A Lot To Talk About. It is your boy, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Driver. Of course, you can call me Brad. And I'm excited to be here because today's guest is an incredible human being. I had the pleasure of meeting her at Spotify HQ in Sydney. Her name is Gemma Spegg. She's the host of The Psychology of Your 20s, a podcast with the intention to delve into that crazy decade that is our 20s, all of the challenges, adversity, problems we seem to face, the problems that seem to be very similar for all of us in our 20s, regardless of where we're from or what our life situation is. And I'm sure we're going to dive into plenty of those problems and the psychology behind them today. So from your home, your car, or wherever you are, give a very warm welcome to the one, the only, Gemma Spegg. How are you, Gem? I'm doing so well. What a lovely intro, Bradley. You that deserve was so a lovely sweet. intro. I honestly think that it's this was meant to happen. I think we were meant to meet. Like you said, we met at um, Spotify HQ. They brought us all together and we just had the nicest chat. You, me and Soph, who is your partner. And it was genuinely gave, I was so inspired and so motivated afterwards. And I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to come on this guy's show. I, I agree completely. I love that as I was sitting there in the crowd and for those listening, Gemma is an absolute superstar in the podcast world. You would have seen her show consistently in the top 30 of the US, UK and Australian charts and at times reaching those top spots. You've you've got over 10 million listeners, which is absolutely insane and so exciting. And I love your show. I've been listening to it lately. Soph and I have been enjoying the apps as we're driving around or buzzing around the house with your bloody soothing voice in the background. I wish I sounded like you do. And the thing that stood out to me is as I sat in the crowd and listened to you share your story on stage and what has worked for you in in building your show, I just recognized this sense of authenticity, which we spoke about. and, And it's what I connected with because the reason I started my show was because I had this deep burning desire and passion to uplift and inspire people because of my lived experience. And I could sense that for all the challenges you'd faced in your 20s, you wanted to speak on that and then use your background and understanding of psycholo- psych- psychology. There you go. There's my bloody pronunciation going <laughs> down the drain. Your background of psychology, you know, linking that to these experiences. And so I want to dive into that today. Why did you start the show? And was there any, you know, I know the answer to this question, but was there any hopes or dreams for where this was going to go? Yes, such a great question. Um, I think I'll start with that first one. Like, why did I start the show? I was having these incredible conversations with my friends. I studied psychology at university. And it was one of those things where I was like, there is so much within this discipline that is inaccessible to the every person, the everyday person. And it shouldn't be. There are so many theories so many amazing ideas that can apply so much to our lives, but people don't really think about them. I think the other thing was that there's this huge misconception around psychology is only really for people who have mental ill health or have mental health conditions, which is, I really don't think the case or should ever have been the case. And it definitely isn't the case anymore. Psychology is applicable to every element and facet of our lives from simple things or things that we think of as simple like a breakup or hating your job, those kind of universal experiences of our 20s to those kind of deeper, uh, more severe cases of, of mental ill health. So that was really why I started it. I was having these amazing conversations and I was like, this needs, like people need to know this stuff. There's so much here that can help people. So why don't I just do it? And yeah, it's really interesting that you say like, did I have any ambitions? when I began, 
because I think that a lot of people think that I I sat down I was like I'm going to make this top show and it's going to be my job and I've got this plan and it definitely wasn't like that it was just I have this idea and I think I said this to you before if I don't do it I'll regret it and I think much like yourself you know you quit your job to do this it's incredible but when you have a really good idea you can't sit on it because someone else will have it and I just am someone who isn't patient and was like let's just get it done let's just start and once the first episode's out it's out and I really didn't expect so many people to care or to like it or to listen every week that was just I think one of the great blessings of being able to be authentic and just put myself out there. Why do you think that we all face so many and very similar challenges in our 20s? What is it about this decade that is so tough for us to navigate? Oh my gosh, I love answering this question. I think that this is one of the first generations in which adulthood no no longer starts at like 18. Like it does in some senses, but a lot of those key life milestones are moving later and later, right? Like we're not, most people aren't getting married at 21 anymore. They're not having their first children at 23. There's a recession coming in. You know, most people aren't homeowners by the time they're 21 as our parents or grandparents were. But it's also this period, like beyond that kind of social and cultural context, there's this period of our lives, this like, period of of time where our brains are still developing we're going through all these crazy milestones sorry the dog's coming up here (laughs) Bradley's so we're like like, that's right we love a fur friend on yeah talk about I don't know what he's up to oh there he is um hey buddy um but it's also this thing where it's like your brain is going through this insane period of development I think a lot of people think that you know by the time you've you've gone through childhood everything's kind of in place, right? Everything's kind of developed. There's no more growth, but that is so not the case. There is so much uh, growth and development that does happen in our twenties. And it's incredibly remarkable and incredibly profound. And whilst that's happening, we're going through, like I said, massive milestones, massive emotional milestones. It's probably for a lot of us, the first time that we experience heartache. It's the first time that we have responsibilities and that we do the wrong thing. We hurt people and we are hurt ourselves. We experience grief. And I think there's a lot of confusion that's very much part of this experience and built into the fabric of of this decade. Yeah, it's such a good point, isn't it? It's, you know, I think about my 20s and so much has changed. And I'm 26 now, Mm -hmm. 27 in a few weeks. Ah, happy birthday. And thank you. And it's funny because Soph said to me the other night, we're sitting on the lounge and she said, far out, 27, you know, we're talking about my birthday and what we're going to do with the family. And she said, how do you feel about that? And I said, you know what? I feel all the better for knowing that I have her in my life. I think one of the, for one of the longest, one of the biggest challenges for the longest time was this expectation that in our twenties, we're supposed to find the person we love and we're supposed to settle into a relationship with that person. We then have to, you know, think about dropping the knee if you're a guy and if you're a girl, you know, you're wondering when that's going to happen. Is it going to happen soon enough because it's happening for all of my friends. And then, you know, then we have to get married in order to then buy a home. And then we have to have that home so that we can have kids before we're 30. Like mm. it's these massive life milestones that are also massive financial commitments And we feel this pressure to, well, if I'm going to make the money to be able to put a ring on my partner's finger, if I'm going to make the money to then go and get a loan so we can have a home and we can have a Mm -hmm. wedding and then bring children into the world, man, I need to have my dream job too. And so there's all these stresses that at one time are weighing on our shoulders. And for me, as I've sat and thought about, I feel much better about those things now because I've been lucky enough to meet the person I want to spend the rest of my life with and have kids with. But I think for a long time, I felt the pressure of these challenges because of one thing, and it was this comparison, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. We've all heard that quote. And it is so true because as we look at the world around us, it's really hard not to notice the highlight reels on Instagram and TikTok that really Mm -hmm. push everything that you think you're not in your face. Yeah. Wait, I have to ask, has Soph come on the show yet? 
she hasn't. Soph oh. is a little camera shy. She's oh my for, gosh. for the absolute angel she is. You know what she's like. She's just a gorgeous, radiating she's human so being. So lovely. And she, she, um, she does not love the limelight of the camera. She likes to be, we call her producer Soph. Yeah. Because <laughs> she likes to sit behind the camera and just listen and observe. And um, I'll have to have her on one day. We've spoken about when we'll do a, a full reveal and discussion episode with Soph. I would love to see that. And I think it's such a testament. Like I'm just hyping up your girlfriend here. I think she's amazing. <laughs> I was like, she's literally one of the sweetest people ever. But I think it's so lovely that you you found this, you found the one. And that's like such a beautiful thing. Um, I think I, I was talking about this with a friend the other day. I posted something like about it. There is so much pressure though. And I'm sure you felt this before you met her that like in order for the rest of your life to begin, you need to have some, you need to have found the person you want to live it with. And I don't really think that's the case anymore. Or at least like, it's not like by the time you're 30, like your life is over. If you're not married, there used to be such a traditional pathway through life where it was exactly as you described, like these milestones that had to happen in consecutive order and they were very linear and you ticked them off and you moved to the next. And in many ways that made life a lot simpler, right? Because there was mm. a blueprint, there was a, there was a pattern, there was a way to do things. And now I think a lot of people are pushing back at that and saying like, no, like you, like, I want to, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to quit my, my, my well-paying job to try something new to, really share a story to be creative because we're no longer in some ways constrained by a lot of these expectations for how we should live our lives. That's something I really try and promote on the show, on my show being like, you have agency, like your 20s should be about falling in love and making mistakes and doing things a little bit differently and growing and learning and being authentic to what you want to do. And I just think it's such an important message especially when we think about some of the pressures that we do face to do things a certain way yeah it's it is so true that the pressure at times can just be debilitating yeah and I think the pressure for a lot of people causes this procrastination where they're scared to make any decision because they think that it's going to be the wrong one and I think you've just got to reside to the fact that like you said you have to grant yourself the permission to make mistakes in this decade of your life and you're going to make mistakes in every decade of your life. I think that is just part of being a human being. But we're so wrapped up in, like I said before, this comparison and this desire, mm. this innate desire to be perfect, which is just such a myth. There is no such thing. But I just wonder why so many of us do compare. Do you think it's a, is it an issue of self-acceptance and insecurity? Okay. So I am so fascinated by social comparison and as we talk about like there's so much psychology behind this that I think people don't understand. Social comparison is actually really, really normal and natural in some ways. So obviously we are like, we are pack animals and Mm. evolutionarily we needed to understand what the other members of our group were doing in order to conform and therefore survive. Because if we were doing things differently to how the norm was, we would be kicked out of the group lowering our chances of survival that's like the basic evolutionary argument and essentially what that meant was back you know ages ages ago when our our brains were really forming into the brains that us as humans still have now there were these instincts and one of them was to be able to look at other members of the pack of the community and judge our behavior against theirs to set a standard for how we should act that part of our brain, that instinct is still very much present. And that's where comparison comes from. And there's this thing, there's upward comparison and there's downward comparison. Upward comparison is really, really useful. So this is where you look at someone you really admire and you're like, wow, they're incredible. I want to be like them for the right reasons. Like this person has set an example for me. But on the flip side, it can also be like, oh, if you're someone who's quite pessimistic or doesn't have a lot of self-confidence, like we talked about, you can be like, oh, I'm such a failure because that's where I want to be and I'm not there yet. And instead of putting in a, a place in a plan in place, you can very much become quite jaded and, and belittle yourself. And then there's downward social comparison. 
Downward social comparison does more for our ego, but doesn't do much for our soul. It's where you look at someone who's doing worse than you and you're like, wow, look at me go. I'm killing it. I'm doing so amazing because at least I'm not like them. And I just think that is, it's it's a natural part of our brain. I know sometimes we can't fight it, but it's so toxic in some ways mm. to be dependent on someone else's lack of success or someone else doing worse than you in order to get a self-esteem hit. And I, I think that it's really important to understand and reflect on why exactly you're looking to someone else as a judge or a kind of ruler for your own life like are you doing it because you admire them and because you want to understand how you yourself can cultivate that level of success can cultivate that level of self-awareness or are you doing it because you're allowing yourself to be belittled or belittling someone else sorry that was such a long explanation but no I love that I love the way you explain that too because I've never heard it explained that way but I I completely connect with and have recently been talking about what you said there and mentioned Mm -hmm. about our almost prehistoric brain and its desire to survive. Yeah. And we spoke about this on a recent episode of the pod with two of my best mates and we spoke about limiting beliefs. And one of my mates, Joey said that he feels, he feels he has this innate desire to be liked. And if he isn't liked, well then where does he sit in his social surrounds? He spoke about being, Joey's of Ghanese and Australian descent. And he spoke about Mm -hmm. being, I think, eight years old at the time when um, in the old country town he used to live in, a young kid said to him, I can't play Pokemon cards with you because you're black. And he said, I think that's where my desire to be liked come from because Mm. I'd never recognized myself as black because I just felt like every other kid, it's who I was. But if I was going to be excluded because of something I couldn't change, well, what could I control to be liked? And he said he felt like he was always trying to be likable, entertaining, funny, cool, charismatic, so that he was socially accepted because of that. And, you know, we spoke about this. I said, I've been listening to a psychologist by the name of Steve Peters, who wrote a book book called The Chimp Paradox. I'm pretty sure it was called. Where he said, like, prehistorically, our brain is wired to be low self-esteem because that meant survival in the natural world. And I I found that really interesting. And he said, you have to forgive yourself for that innate desire to survive, but then almost grant yourself permission to thrive because we don't live in that world anymore. Yeah. Oh, spot on. I found that so fascinating. I think what I loved about it was in understanding that's how you're hardwired, you don't beat yourself up about it. Yeah. Because I think so many of us do. Yeah, I totally think so. What was your friend's name? Joey, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think also another part of that is your limiting beliefs often come from childhood wounds and that discrimination, that blatant racism that he experienced, you know, it came from a child. They probably didn't know what they were saying, probably something that their parents had told them, Mm. um, which is in itself so upsetting, but um, it's, it also comes from those childhood wounds and it, and it's mixes in with that evolutionary old brain um, concept that you were talking about whereby our brain picks up things that are going to be potential risks to our survival. So someone excluding you from the in-group, as happened with Joey, that's a massive indicator to a young, vulnerable brain, a formative brain, to be like, oh my gosh, because of this this characteristic that I have, I'm going to be excluded from the in-group, which is going to make me feel bad, first of all, but also potentially minimize my risks of survival as the old brain is saying it creates such yeah such lasting childhood wounds that are very difficult to repair the older that you get so I also think it's a massive testament to him that he is so self-aware of that and I think also you can you can change that there's so many ways that you can change that and it's not like it's not going to take hard work right like limiting beliefs are so powerful it's so crazy how our brain can is in many ways pitted against us because of that that instinct to have low, low self-esteem. But retraining yourself and retraining those negative beliefs is such an amazing way to realize and cultivate your agency and cultivate your self-awareness and your confidence to just do you and just to be the person that you would like to be regardless of whether you're liked or not. I love that. Well, I think that's a, an incredible point and an amazing segue into a question for you here, Jen. 
Mm. You know, authenticity is ultimately what's allowed you to be successful in this space, right? Because you sitting in at the time when you started this podcast, your car, recording episodes and sharing your honest truths and feelings about life in your 20s. Ultimately, that authenticity is what connected with people. And, you know, that's a great reason for somebody listening to this or watching this to go, well, I should be authentic. I should be me because my circle and my people will find me and I will find my place in life by being myself, a place that I can actually enjoy and exist in an authentic uh, arena. But, you know, when you found this desire to start sharing your challenges, Mm. you've obviously delved into them. You've almost journaled through the audio world what those challenges have been for you. What do you see as, maybe they've changed, but the biggest challenges for you personally in your 20s? Wow, that's a massive question. Bradley, you're kind of my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) I think there there were quite a few and like some that I won't get into. I think to be completely honest, I had a lot of mental health challenges. I think a lot of us do as well. That was probably the main reason I pursued psychology um, and dealt on and off and still do with like pretty severe depression and anxiety. That was a massive challenge for me to be like, okay, I'm not what's happening in my brain. I And I think understanding it really helped me. And then there were other things like I definitely had my own childhood wounds that had come from a sense of not not from my parents, but just from not really fitting in and always feeling like I was a little bit odd. I was a little bit strange. And as I got older, what that really led to was being in situations, in relationships, in friendships that were incredibly taxing and incredibly one-sided and just like really unpleasant. And it was something that I had to unlearn and be like, I actually do have value regardless of what people think of me and what they see as my use to them. I think it's Mm. just a massive thing to learn. And then I think another one is just like finding, finding my place. Like I really felt that I spent a lot of my late teens and early twenties really feeling like I didn't have a place where I belonged as I think a lot of people do feel. I moved around a lot, moved, you know, from Melbourne to Canberra to Sydney, like trying to really find a place to put my roots down and to feel secure And I don't know, it's kind of emotional. Like this last year, I've just really come into that sense of that place of security, a place of like, I've got, you know, like an amazing therapist. I've got um, an amazing kind of approach to my mental health. I've never been better, which is like insane to think of like two years ago, to be completely honest, like I was in, I was like genuinely in hospital. I was so unwell because I was like, couldn't, couldn't figure out how to stop the thoughts in my head couldn't figure out how to make myself better and looking back at that time like two years on and being like wow like I've come so far and I really took and I'm not saying this is the case for everyone but I really did was able to take control and be like I'm going to I'm going to take care of myself I have the best friends that I've ever had people who genuinely love me who don't want anything from me don't want clout don't want free shit like don't want to come on my show like just genuinely are there for me and support me it's just like insane so wow kind of emotional but I feel like a lot of people would have been in the same place and sometimes I like to just be like it's people always you know roll their eyes but it really does get better like life is the is has this incredible way of surprising us with the things that we never knew we deserved and never knew that we wanted like over time it's just insane to me I'm so happy to hear that because everyone deserves to feel that, you know, like that's what an amazing world if we could all feel that sense of belonging and that sense of pride in, in who we are and the journey we're on or the quest Mm -hmm. we're on because it's so open-ended. And I love to hear that. I I wonder, and and this is a question that could be so open-ended here. I'm I'm Mm. excited to see where you take this. When you started to take control of that, you know, you spoke about finding your place. What allowed you to find your place? Because I think, you know, you spoke about moving around a lot. Mm. I think sometimes when when life is challenging, we look to flip the script on everything, right, to, to mm-hmm. hopefully find an answer. And I've done that with my career and found answers. But I think sometimes we we look externally for answers. I'm not sure whether you found an answer externally or whether you found it within. What was the first step? 
You are so wise, Bradley. And also you're spot on. I have, it, it, there's this crazy thing, right? Where, um, and I'm going to bring in another psychological concept here because I think it explains it. When we don't feel like we have control over ourselves internally, often we project externally. And especially when those thoughts of feeling powerless are really profound and really intense, often we have this sense of like, I'm just going to change something about my environment. I'm going to like, I'm going to, and it goes from as simple as being like, I'm going to chop off all my hair because I've just gone through this breakup and it brings me a sense of control to what I did was I went through this terrible breakup and I was like, I'm going, I'm going to move. Like I'm out of here. I'm going to move to a completely new city. I know like three people and that external change was so profound because it allowed for a more deeper internal change. It allowed for a more subconscious and in some ways conscious change of my, of my entire mental framework where I went through this period of time where I was like, I really had to embrace my solitude. I didn't know many people. I was trying to make friends and I found so much peace. I'd Mm. let go of all of these toxic relationships and friendships. My circle was so tight with incredible people and it was so peaceful. It was so peaceful. And I realized that so I hadn't really had the time to focus on myself and take care of myself because I was so preoccupied with dealing with all of these other problems and trying to make everyone else happy, trying to be friends with everyone, trying to get my degree, all these things. And I was like, okay, I had this like three month period where I almost hermited and I just was like, I'm going to work my butt off. I'm going to really hustle on this podcast because I love it. Even though you know, at the time I had no listens. I was like, I'm going to do this for for me. I'm so sick of doing things for other people's approval. I'm going to do this because I really want to do this. And I'm going to take care of myself because it's what's best for me. And I'm going to let go of all of those other things that do not have a place in my life. Even if it means hurting someone's feelings, even if it means disappointing people. And I think that was like, it's that mixture of like, yeah, the the external thing was the catalyst, but it really did allow me to do the internal work that I think a lot of us put off. And then Mm. it kind of all crumbles, right? Like that's what happened. I've been putting it off. And the next thing you know, I was like, I'm really unwell. So yeah, it's a great question. You know what? I'm going to go and share a little bit from my end here because I resonate so much with that. I feel like the last couple of years I've really started to find my way. You know, I left my job. I started to focus a little bit more on myself, but, you know, I think in, in most people in their twenties, most people at any stage in their life would be able to relate to this. I felt as though a lot of the insecurities I had about myself were kind of dictating the direction of my life. And I felt like I was looking for answers that, you know, I, I just felt this compounding pressure of always needing to be everything for everyone. And like I was being nothing that I needed to be for myself. I felt the fact that nothing was really going my way. You know, I'd quit my job, sold my home. The podcast wasn't really making the leaps I wanted it to make. My speaking career was kind of not really happening yet. You know, my health wasn't like, I didn't look the way I wanted to look. I was quite insecure about my looks and my body and just, and just everything. And I just thought, I just need to get out and get some time to myself, like just go and be in my own solitude. So I booked myself a trip to the US. So I spent Mm. a week in LA and a week in New York and people would go, is that like the place to go if you really want to just be yourself? Well, for (laughs) me it was because I I was staying, I was so far away from everything I knew and I was by myself. I was completely solo on this trip. And I remember I literally just spent the whole time by myself. I knew a few people in New York that I spent a day with, but literally for two and a bit weeks, I was by myself every day. And so every day I journaled, I love to journal. So I journal every day over a coffee. I'd walk around, I'd wander, I'd go for a run. You know, I'd go see things that I wanted to see. I sat with my thoughts all day. I listened to Mm. podcasts, I read books. And it was journaling every day in LA that I really started to like, I was in this thought process of, do I move overseas? You know, do I move overseas where maybe new things will happen for me and there's new environments? And as I was sitting there every day and journaling, I I sort of was like going through, what do I need to be the best version of myself? Like what pillars do I need in my life that 
you know, really fill my cup. And so I sat there and I wrote down four things. It was just my people, my health, my work and my environment. The four things that have a huge impact on me every day and every week of my life. And I started to like write down within those categories, the things that I needed to be happy. And I realized that I needed to just start focusing on myself a little bit more. I'm a massive people pleaser. Mm. I do everything to make everyone happy. If I get a text, hey, can we go for coffee? I don't say no because I don't want to let that person down. And I found that I was always doing everything for the people around me, which is, you know, to be selfless is not a bad trait. But when you're so selfless that you don't do anything to take care of yourself, it wears on you. And I think I just figured that out. And I come back with this lightness and just this sense of understanding of what I needed to do to get my life back on track. Yeah. And really it was like a week or two later I met Soph when I got home, things started to happen. My podcast started moving in a direction I wanted it to. I signed some deals with some speaking agencies. I started to just get my health back on track and feel all of these good feelings. And it was literally just me understanding and asking myself, what do I need? Yeah. And I just think we don't often ask ourselves. Yeah. Oh my God. It's such a great point. And I love that. Um, What was it? I feel like I want to repeat this. So the things that you needed were your people, my your work, health, my your work, health and my your environment, work, your environment. And it's kind of a simple equation, but it's so profound, isn't it? It is. And as it soon is. as you so simple, it's so simple, but I think often we don't take time to sit with that and be like, okay, what do I actually want from my life? Also, I think it's amazing that you came back. I think it shows the power of self-reflection, right? You came back mm. and everything started falling into place. I don't think that's an accident. I don't no. think that's a coincidence. Like I do genuinely believe that when you invest in yourself, the universe, whatever it is, God, whatever you believe in, there is just something that will invest in you back because energy is always reciprocated. I just mm. really do believe it. So I know it sounds a bit wishy-washy. People always are like, that has no psychological facts behind it. And I'm like, it does though, because the way that you approach life, your kind of attitude towards life, that has a way of unlocking certain things. Like I can imagine if you'd met Soph and you'd come back, you hadn't gone to New York and you met her, you would have been like, oh, I'm, I'm confused. I don't really know what I want, blah, blah, blah. And maybe it wouldn't have happened. Maybe you wouldn't have reached out to those those agencies or they wouldn't have reached out mm. to you because it's like there are these subliminal things that we put out into the world, these implicit signs of our readiness and our preparedness and our confidence that comes from a lot of that that deep work. What do you think your relationship with like social approval is like now? Like you said, you're a massive people pleaser. Do you think there's still work to do or do you think that you've you've got it under you've got it under wraps? Massive work to do still. Really? It's funny because It's funny because one thing that I'm incredibly grateful for and one thing I've never struggled with and which I'm really blessed to say is to have good people around me. I've always had incredibly supportive and amazing friends. And because I've, you know, because I've got different, like some different interests, like I've got mates that I would go for a run with. I've got mates that I've met through work um, in the past or through work. Now I've got mates who have been a part of my life for a long time. And I've got all these different mates from different circles, which is amazing. But I think sometimes it is hard to balance the load of people, which, you know, I wish I could see all of them every week and still have time for me, but that's not the case. And so I'm having to learn to say no and not feel the guilt behind saying no. Like I feel guilty for it a lot of the time, but I think, you know, the last episode of the podcast was me doing an assessment on my human personality with Katarina Kuhn, the neuroscientist. Oh, and what did she say? I haven't listened to it yet. What so I'd done, I'd done this assessment and it basically asked me to rank my values based off a few options it gave me to say what I do in this scenario or this situation and pick my choices, my beliefs, my values. And basically what it spat out was, she said, was quite unique in the sense that my human personality was... And behavior was somewhat, I'm going to get this probably wrong because I'm trying to remember the report, but it was a mix of desire for higher rank, but desire to be highly empathetic and caring. And she said, higher rank and care don't usually sit within the same assessment. Usually it's one yeah. or the other. Yeah. And, you know, we spoke about how that links to my story. And obviously I've had a different experience because of challenges with my health, 
So I'm very grateful for the people around me and I have a really high care factor for the people I love. But at the same time, I'm super determined and I'm super driven to succeed mm. in my career and my space that they kind of both sit in. I think sometimes I wonder, do I care too much about whether I'm deemed to be successful by other people or is it enough just to be successful for myself? Yeah. And, you know, I, I sit with that and I don't really know the answer to that, to be honest with you. I'd like to think that it's all for myself because I love this and I feel like it's attached to my purpose. But I still I think there's an element where I don't want to be famous, but I want people to go, oh, man, he's like a great storyteller and he's good at what he does. Yeah. Like I like the idea of being recognized for that. And, and I don't know where that sits and whether that can be healthy or unhealthy. And I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Mm, I've just been writing it down right now. I'm like, yeah, I think it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because it's sort of natural that if you succeed in this space, you get some recognition. Yeah, you do. But I think what's interesting for me from what you said is that it's not for validation. No, definitely not. Which is the, which is the big factor here. Cause you're not looking to other people to validate you. Like you're like, I would be doing this. Like a question I always ask myself when I'm like, am I actually doing this because I like it or because of pressure, because I'm in too deep or because I like the the response that I'm getting is like, would I still be doing this if no one was listening? Mm. And the answer is yes. And I think the answer for you is yes as well. Like, Well, I sold my house and quit my job when no one was listening. So, you know. Exactly. Because it wasn't for validation. It was because you have this amazing mix, as you said, of empathy and ambition. And I don't think that that means, like, I think it's different to being like, oh, I'm ambitious and I'm cutthroat or mm. I'm ambitious and I, I'm narcissistic or I have this need for like approval from others. Like, I think you're doing it for much more sincere reasons, which is like, you, I don't think it's a bad thing to, to recognize when you've got a good story. And recognize when you have a gift and a talent. And that's something that you have, right? You're able to inspire people. Like we met, we've literally, before this call, we'd spoken for probably less than 30 minutes. Mm. And it completely changed my outlook on so many things. And it wasn't like you were even on a podium. We were just having like a one-on-one chat. And it was so inspiring because you have this gift, right? So I I don't know. Well, I just think it's so true. And I would hate for you to be like, oh, my. And I also think this is really interesting. There's this theory and I know we haven't, like, I've, there is no way I'm suggesting you're a narcissist, but it's really interesting because when people are like, oh, am I a narcissist? If you ask yourself that question, you're not a narcissist. And the same way is to be like, oh, am I doing this for the right reasons? Or asking yourself those questions like, oh, am I, am I just doing this because I want to be famous? If you're asking yourself that question, the answer is probably no, because people who are doing things for, in a one track mind and for one reason and for very selfish reasons, don't have the self-awareness to sit back and ask themselves those questions Mm. um so I just think that's such an interesting I hope that kind of makes you feel better it does it does and I think you hit the nail on the head with the self-awareness because I think that's a big part of it and and I recognize that probably one of the biggest challenges for me for the longest time was I said like insecurity around my looks Mm. and you know, sort of growing up through my teens I, I really struggled with my skin I used to get quite bad cystic acne and that used to just, like, I was a really confident, like confidence up here, mm, like through that. the roof, loved it. But then the minute that my skin broke out, mm. confidence just dropped below zero. Mm. I'd shell up, sort of hide away, wouldn't put my personality out there, didn't want to be seen, recognized. I didn't want people to know I was in the room. I'd prefer to just go unnoticed. And so yeah. I went through these weird periods where like my confidence would fluctuate And then, you know, I've got a bigger smile, which means bigger teeth, which I love now, but kids can be cruel in the playground. And there's one or two comments here and there. And, you know, then a bit of scarring from my acne and those things that you just hear one or two comments and you really start to question, oh, am I good looking enough? Am I good looking enough to be successful? And a lot of people look at people who are doing well in the social media space or podcast space and, you know, they're attractive people. And what is attractive, it changes depending on who you are, right? Yeah. And what your desires are. But I used to feel this like, and really until I met Soph has been an incredible help. She's so loving, caring and kind and just makes me feel just so 
incredible for who I am as a human being, not for the way that I look. And I remember like sitting and watching myself on, you know, I'd do something that was like, you know, by my regards, a goal I'd set, like I'd achieve a goal I'd set mm-hmm. where I'd, you know, be speaking on a certain stage or, you know, there was a news story running about me. And as I'm watching this thing, you know, I should be enjoying it. And I should be going far out. You achieve that. Good on you. But I'm yeah. going, oh, far out. Look at how bad my teeth look there. Or God, God, look at that pimple on my skin. Mm-hmm. And I could never enjoy it. And I've just gotten to the point now where I realize that that held me back from enjoying so much of my life. Yeah. I don't want to live like that. Yeah. I just want to embrace me for who I am and enjoy it. And life's to be enjoyed. Allowing your insecurities to have a hold of whether you embrace, enjoy, really get the most out of life. Yeah. The only thing you're doing, and I've got this quote, I'm going to put it in my notes the other day because I, need to hear it. I want to read it. I heard Oprah Winfrey talking about it. The, the lady who shared this quote with her was Caroline Mace or Mice, something like that is her surname. Yeah. And it said, when you betray yourself, you become no different to the people who hurt you. And I was like, whoa, isn't that profound? Oh my gosh. Wait, I need to write that down as well at some stage. Yeah, just it's big. So when you betray yourself, you're no better than the people who hurt you. And I feel like that was just the perfect conclusion on the time that I spent allowing my insecurity to rule my life. And don't be wrong, I've not overcome it. There's still some insecurity there. But I feel like I'm getting better at just embracing the fact of I am who I am. I look the way that I do. You know, I don't want to change it. You know, I love who I am as a human being. Like I love my soul and I love the way that my mind works. And, you know, I just want to enjoy life and it shouldn't hold me back. It shouldn't hold me back from feeling loved in my relationship. It shouldn't hold me back from sharing the gift that I believe I have with the world. Yeah. And I think in our twenties, it's such a struggle and it comes back to that comparison thing. Yeah, it does. And I think also it comes back to the sense of like when we're in our twenties, we haven't really fully formed our identities yet. So... Mm things at a surface level like our looks are really easy to invest in and to be like this is what matters because we don't feel that there's we have a we have the sense of wisdom or we have a skill or we have something that we really believe in or that we give to the world so it's interesting to me that it was like okay when you met an amazing partner when you started sharing more of your story suddenly it kind of flips Mm. because it's like actually my identity is no longer just reliant on my physical appearance anymore it's reliant or it's more um, founded on something that's deeper and more internal. It's about the love I have, the love I share. But I also have this this beautiful quote that I love to think of because I I think I've had my own insecurities around how I look. I've definitely grown out of it now. And I'm like, and this quote is one that I always think of is it's from Roald Dahl, which is super, super strange. It's from the book the twits which i i don't know if it's still loved that as a kid but it's a good book right as a kid i love that book and there's this one thing they say and it just has always stuck with me where it's like you can be the most beautiful person in the world but if you think ugly thoughts and you think poorly of others you'll always look ugly most most beautiful like all you could be as we call it the most ugly person in the world physically you know you could be completely against beauty standards But if you think positive thoughts, if you're a good person, if you care about others and about nature and about the world and you're empathetic, you will never be ugly because that shines out of you more than any physical beauty does. And I just think that is such a massive part of my value set now. I love that. And like, you know, it's nice to take care of yourself, right? And to to look great and you feel confident, but I just feel like I find more confidence in being able to make other people feel good about themselves. And I think you're the same in many ways. 100%. And I think just, you know, recognizing that it's important to take care of your health. Like you said, it's important to have, you know, that, that desire or that, that put that effort into like looking after ourselves because you want to be healthy internally Yeah. and being healthy internally is an important part of being able to enjoy life too, because you don't want to be sick. You know, your health is, is a real priority and it should be, but I think, you don't have to go to the gym or run or eat all the time because you're thinking about the way that you look. And I recognize that that was a big issue for a lot of years and and still for some cases is for me. Like I asked myself the question the other week, 
you know, am I still running 50 Ks a week because I think it'll make me look a certain way or because mm. I enjoy the way it makes me feel because I enjoy the way that I perform when I'm working. And I was like, oh, maybe I need to take a step back for a minute and just run whatever yeah. feels enjoyable and makes me feel topped up mentally and look after my body a bit more. Yeah. I think looks become too much of a priority for us in our 20s. Yes. And also, when, like I said, when you've got other things to worry about, they kind of slip off because we realize that they're not the most important thing. And mm. I think it's one of those things also, you're going to get older. You're going to change. Your body's going to change. You're going to look different. Perhaps you're going to feel different as well. But cultivating your identity and cultivating things that you're proud of and caring about others, that literally never goes out of style. That's not trendy. Like mm. that's not a certain haircut. That's not certain clothes or a certain physique that's popular at the moment. Like it's it's evergreen. It's everlasting. So I just always say that to people who ask me for, for my advice on it. I think it's such an important thing to remember. Can I get you to delve into that a little bit more? Because I think it's mm. a really good point, cultivating your identity. Yeah. What would you say cultivating your identity would look like for someone who goes, well, I don't know who I am? Yeah, I talk about this a lot. Identity is made up of a lot of different facets, right? So it's like, the, it's kind of, you want to think about it as like a triangle. The bottom is like things like your value set. And I'm talking about like the deep foundational parts of what you truly believe. And then there's things like culture and family. Then there's things like context, friends, and then also kind of all in that middle range, like activities, job, hobbies, things that are like accolades, university, those kind of social things that determine your community and determine kind of your path through life. And at the top is things like physical appearance. But look at the very bottom one. That Those top pillars, they have nothing to rest on if you don't understand your values. And if you don't understand deep down what you truly believe and what you want. So there's this exercise I get people to do quite a bit and then I tell people that I think is really valuable. And it's to sit down and think about what are, the, what are my five core values? And it's really hard. It's a hard exercise to do. You'd be like, you'd be like, oh yeah, honesty, intelligence, all yeah. But then when you really think about it, you've only got five and I want you to really choose them. And you have to really sit with it and be like, okay, what are these? And then take them with you through life. And you'll find that when you are more aware of what really drives you and what motivates you and what you care about, decisions become a lot easier. You're able to seek out the things that you really love doing. And then another part of that is like understanding your motivation and your ambition and it kind of flows from your value set, but what you care about. There's no point going into investment banking and trying to make a fuck ton of money and be super rich if what you care about is family because you're not going to have time to spend with your family. You're not going to have time to spend with the family that you've created, like your friends. Mm. And you'll find that there's a natural friction and you'll be unhappy. So it's about deciding how your actions can really come and almost drag from your value set. That's what I would say. I feel like there's other opinions, but I really do think it's so valuable to deep dive into that first. I love that so much. That resonates a lot because, you know, we spoke before about um, Steve Peters, a psychologist mm. that wrote that book, he said that one of the exercises he does with some of his patients is he gets them to write down their values and yeah. actually base their self-esteem on whether they're living by their values or not. And, you know, that's something we can all control. Like yeah. he said, you can't control the way that someone looks at you and, and thinks about whether you're attractive or not, but you can control whether you're kind to the person you walk past in the street. Yeah. And if one of your values is kindness, well, then you should mm. feel really good about asking the old lady who's walking past her in the morning, how she's doing and, you know, wishing her a lovely day. Yeah. And I think that's so important because it's, I do as well. but, but it's the same thing. Like we said earlier, it's simple. And because it's simple, people don't think it's profound enough. Yeah. Well, life doesn't have to be, life is challenging, but it doesn't have to be complicated. No. And you don't have to go and, you know, join a cult or the church of Scientology or do some like massive 500 day <laughs> hike to figure it out. Sometimes it's like we said, just spending time in solitude and alone, giving yourself time to really think about what you actually want. You don't need mm. to, you're not in any rush as well. I think that's another big message. 
in our 20s, we can feel like, oh my God, like my life is both beginning and ending in this decade. It's like absolutely not the case. You have so much time to figure things out. I think we often forget that. Definitely. I want to ask you one last question before I let you go, Jen. You know, for anyone who's listening to this, watching right now, if you could give them one message and encourage them to act on that message, mm. what would it be? Oh my gosh, it has to it has to really count. Okay, this is what I'm going to say, and I think it's it's already come from a lot of what we've talked about, but authenticity is priceless, and you should make sure that no matter what you're doing in your life, I don't care what it is, you're doing it from a place of being authentic and true to yourself. I would not be where I am today, Riley. I don't think you would be either. If I had let myself make decisions from a place that was inauthentic and it's worth its weight in gold to just be exactly who you are in everything that you do. I absolutely love that. You are incredibly authentic gem i've just loved meeting you connecting with you learning from you because there's so much that i can learn from you know someone like yourself who's doing amazing in this field but doing amazing because you are being who you are being authentic so it's been an absolute pleasure i'm going to make sure that for everyone watching listening here today all of Gemma's social tags, her show on Spotify and Apple will all be linked in the description. I really encourage everyone to go and listen to it because it's bloody incredible. I've enjoyed so much being a fan of your show and a fan of you. So thank you so much for being on a lot to talk about. Oh my gosh. It was my pleasure. This is one of the best chats I've had in a little while. So thanks, Bradley. You're an amazing interviewer. No, you're, you're too incredible. kind. You're too kind. I can't wait to do the reverse on your show next week. Yeah, exactly. You guys better watch out. Bradley's going to come on and share so much of his wisdom. I don't know how much of it will be intelligent psychology, but it'll, just, <laughs> it'll be a bit of storytelling. It'll be a bit of fun. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It means the world that you guys are in my corner, that you continue to listen to the show every week. And if you could do me a massive favor by following the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it, and sharing this episode in particular with just one friend that you feel would benefit from it, that would mean the world to me and it would help the show grow. The more the show grows, the bigger the guests we get on, the more that we can do and the more we can share and support you guys, the listeners, the viewers of the show. Before I go, I want to pay my respects and recognise the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and record this podcast. The Aboriginal culture has such a rich history and storytelling And as a passionate storyteller, I really hope that the stories we share and connect with on the show can allow the many cultures that now call this beautiful land Australia their home to come together and continue to respect the stories and the culture that make this the land it is today. Thank you so much for tuning into A Lot To Talk About. I'll catch you next week.